Chapter 14 Humphrey Helps Once back at the castle, the three dragon detectors, if I may so call them, decided that Jinty should go alone to the king to present all the information they had gathered and seek his advice. So the young man strode purposefully the length of the royal chamber to where King Humphrey sat hunched on his throne, pencil in hand, busy with... Well, you know what. In a few inspired sentences, Jinty explained the complex situation, and he waited, hoping against hope, that the king had listened for once. It appeared he had not. He was murmuring something along these lines. Thirteen across, two words, five letters each. S.O.S. Send a crusty peer. Huh. A crusty peer. Well, now, let me see. We've certainly had some of those in our time. Bless my soul, yes. <laughs> so, could it be the Earl of Annoying, perhaps? Count Crosspatch? Or the Duke of Doleful? Or, or what about Sir William Whinging? No, he's not a peer. Anyway, they're all too long. He chewed quite viciously on his pencil, giving little grunts of annoyance as he pondered the problem. Only with the greatest of self-control did Jinty stop himself from exploding with irritation. There was a major crisis about to blow up, and here was the dear old king wittering on, not to put too fine a point on it. But our hero, he didn't know yet that he was going to be a hero, by the way, knew very well by now how to handle the king's funny little ways. Drawing a deep breath, summoning every ounce of self-control, he interrupted the king's musings. Excuse me, your majesty. May I suggest that you consider an anagram? What do you mean, what's an anagram? Surely you know. Oh, do I have to explain everything? Oh, very well. An anagram is when you take one set of letters and using exactly the same letters and all of them, you make another perfectly sensible word or phrase. Have a go yourself. For instance, take the letters in your own name and twiddle them about to see if they will make other words. Remember, you must use all the letters and the new words must make some sense. OK? Have a go. King Humphrey had taken the hint. He was already busy scribbling, and with some success. Quite soon he looked up, smiling broadly. S.O.S. Send Rescue Party. And that is precisely what I am asking for, Jinty was very nearly shouting, to investigate the S.S. Susie, Your Majesty. Slightly taken aback by the ringing tones of the anxious young man, all at once the king became the model of attention. Jinty quickly repeated all the relevant facts, then stood quietly holding his breath. The tension of the moment was abruptly broken as the door to the chamber burst open and the chief medical officer of the Woolian Hospital rushed in. "'Your Majesty, excuse my intrusion.' I understand that you have expressed an interest in making a tour of the SS Susie and that this was not allowed owing to the captain's absence in my hospital. 
I have come to inform you that I am about to discharge the captain as he has regained full health. He intends to leave our shores immediately to make up for the enforced delay. Thus, I thought I should inform you of the situation. I trust that, that there may be a chance, even now, for you to visit the vessel in question. Uh, thank you. The CMO retreated out of the royal presence, bowing all the way back to the door by which he had entered. Just think how Jinty's heart sank as he realised that the king was once again muttering to himself for all the world as if engaged on the next difficult crossword clue. But goodness me, was he wrong! Lo and behold, a complete change had come over the royal personage. He seemed to grow taller, younger. His eyes flashed, his brow furrowed in concentration. When he spoke, it was with clarity and conviction. It was as if he was an entirely different human being. The scene played out like this. King. I see it all now. He knew about the royal command, did the captain of the Tootsie Wootsie. Jinty. You mean the SS Susie, sir? King, ignoring him, about the orders to seek out other dragons, and so he must have been terrified, having to come ashore here because he was ill. That's why the guard was mounted round the vessel. That's why I, even I, was not permitted to board ship. They all feared the rotters, that their slave dragon would be discovered and impounded. Grabs Dinty by the collar. So, young man, you want a rescue party, do you? I'll give you a rescue party, all right. Let me tell you, one that won't be forgotten in a hurry. Bends closer, speaking rapidly. Now listen. Pay close attention. I have made a royal plan. First, we will direct the harbour master to send some of the fishing boats towards the mouth of the harbour, where they will accidentally on purpose collide, thus blocking the way out of the dock. Next, I will issue a royal invitation to the ship's captain and all his crew to a banquet here in the castle to celebrate the captain's return to health. He will not dare to refuse. His reputation would be in ruins were he to be so ungracious. In any case, he will see that he cannot leave the harbour until the accident has been cleared. Then we will obtain from Wilfred the Woollian Wizard large quantities of the very powerful sleeping draught he concocted for me recently. Bad toothache, you know, absolute agony. Once the ship's company has assembled, we will ply them with good food and wine. Our honoured guests <laughs> will have a little extra something in their drinks. Ha-ha! That will soon send them to Dullaby Land. Rubbing his hands. The banqueting hall doors will be firmly locked. Once all the crew has dozed off, the castle guard will carry them to the hospital, where they will be detained while you, young sir, busy yourself with your rescue party. Jinty, interrupting daringly, I will meanwhile assemble a party of the strongest men I can muster. We will board the unguarded ship to discover the true state of affairs. We will rescue that poor captive beast, whether it be a dragon or not. King smiling, shaking Jinty's hand. This is a truly brilliant rescue party. I'm glad I thought of it. Off you go now, and I will speak at once with the castle cooks regarding a truly sumptuous meal. Jinty, you're right. It is a good plan. Exits.
he rejoined Bettina and the LNW, who were still waiting anxiously in the corridor outside. Within moments, the LNW had set off to visit the Woolian wizard, and Bettina was left wondering, eager to learn what was to be her role in the adventure. Chapter 15 High Hopes Ginty grasped Bettina by both shoulders and stared into her slightly startled eyes. Now, my dearest girl, you must be brave. I am sending you on a very important mission. You have to go and persuade Tibbles to come back. We need him. The young woman trembled a little under his grip. Ginty went on. Go to the stables and ask a groom to saddle my horse Lepo. When all is ready, whisper into Lepo's ear just this. Take me to the luscious grass. The luscious grass. He knows exactly how to get there, believe me. And hold on tight, for he'll fly like the wind to get to that grass, the greedy chap. Once you arrive, my darling, you must use all your charm and tact to explain everything to Tibbles, the dear old fellow. Our suspicions about the SS, Susie, the rescue party, the whole plan. Do you want him to help in the rescue? asked the girl. No, I do not, most definitely, insisted her swain, memories of a certain burning boat still vivid in his mind. On no account must he do anything but come back to the castle, heat it up again as fast as he can, and wait there patiently, trusting that we will do the rest. I can't believe that he'll take any notice of me, Ginty, doubted Bettina. He was so silent and withdrawn and odd when he ran away. Why would he listen to me now? Because, beloved, you can charm the birds from the trees if you put your mind to it, and you must remind him of what you discovered about that sound he could hear, the sound only female dragons can make. That should give him a great deal to think about. Of course you can do this. Indeed, you must. You are a vital part of the rescue party. He swivelled her round by her shoulders and launched her on her way with a saucy little slap on her bottom. He was no longer worried or apprehensive. He was absolutely sure that the king's plan would work. Things happened very quickly from then on. I hardly know where to start and I must try to be clear. It was all shaping up to be the adventure of a lifetime. I'm getting excited just writing about it. Breathe deeply. Keep calm. P.S. That really does work, I find. In the twinkling of an eye, or so it seemed to Bettina, she was high up on a mountain, green grass and bright flowers all about her. Lepo was already gobbling up the deliciousness of the grass under his hooves. She was calling Tibble's name, and a thin, pale, slow dragon was lumbering out of a nearby cave, coming towards her, a desperate look in his huge, sad eyes. She gave the woebegone beast a hug, which is not easy to do to a dragon, let me tell you, with those spiky scales and all those teeth and so on, not to mention the hot breath issue. I wish you could have seen the wonderful glow of remembering and delight which spread over Tibbles's face as Bettina described what had been discovered in the dragon document. Of course, of course, 
Mama murmuring. Why, I heard it at my mother's knee. That was why I became so. The dragon looked a little bashful. Overcome. Oh, my dear mother. It was all so long ago and I was but a wee babe. But thank you, dear girl. And you say there may just may be another dragon on board that ship? What a joy that would be to be sure if it's true. Yes, after all you've told me, I begin to feel much more my old self. Forgive me for saying so, smiled the girl, but you don't look it. She was also having some difficulty picturing her huge great friend as ever having been a wee babe. Why, you're so thin and wizened, you look rather like an overgrown lizard, not a dragon at all. Tibbles was far too excited and intrigued now to take offence at this remark. Do come back to the castle and let us look after you. Everyone has missed you so very, very much. And we are feeling somewhat chilly without our lovely central heating. Who could resist Bettina when she spoke so sweetly, her lovely smiling face charmingly tilted a little to one side? Certainly not Tibbles. I think that I am ready now, and should very much like to come home, thank you. I want to check those facts in the dragon document. I must warm up the castle and prepare to be Jinty's right-hand man in his mission at the dock. No, interrupted Bettina. No, not that, dearest Tibbles. You simply haven't the strength at the moment. Be assured that Jinty has all the help he needs. Trust him. Come back to the castle and you'll see everything will work out splendidly. Tibbles, feeling if he were honest with himself, totally undragonified, was happy to be persuaded. I fear I am rather weak and very out of flying trim. I doubt that I can carry you back to the castle, Bettina. It may take all my strength just to get myself back. Don't worry. Bettina patted the soft place between his little ears. This brave steed will carry me back the way we came, though it may take me a while to persuade him to stop gobbling the grass. Within a very short time, both the young girl, Lepo and the dragon arrived safely back at the castle. And then Bettina went to check with the L&W to make sure the wizard had provided the sleeping draught in sufficient quantities for their purposes. He had. Tibbles slithered gratefully back into his beloved familiar dungeon and after a short reviving snooze and a snack specially prepared by the royal chef to welcome his return, resumed his huffing duties around the many fireplaces in the walls, just as before. When that was done, he sent for the dragon document and read the entry about Mama murmuring, and allowed himself to hope that soon now he might meet a lady dragon face to face, or rather snout to snout. Lepo paid rather dearly for his gobbling. During the night he developed colic from overeating, only the prompt action of the chief veterinary officer saved him from a very sad fate. Take note, all you owners of ponies out there, not too much lush grass for your steeds, right? Jinty? Hmm...
Chapter 16 Plans in Peril Jinty was coping with the first hiccup concerning the rescue party. The captain of the castle guard had secretly observed the sailors who continued to protect the SS Susie. He wanted to work out how many of his men might be needed to carry the doped sailors from the banqueting hall to the hospital. Sensible of him, wouldn't you agree? However, he returned from his spying mission in a state of high alarm. I fear, he confessed to Jinty, that I will not be able to spare any of my men for your part in the rescue party. Have you seen the size of the SS Susie's crew? Not only are there a lot of them, but they could all pass for young gorillas. He'd only ever seen pictures of gorillas in a school book, I might add, but he had pretty well hit the mark, actually. The castle guard, fine fellows all, is used purely for social functions and cannot be said to be fighting fit. I shall need every one of them. It'll be hard enough to carry those sailors as far as the castle gate, let alone all the way to the hospital. Sorry, but you'll have to find your helpers elsewhere. A little pause here. You will recall how much fitter the people of Woolian had become, as the Royal Medical Officer of Health had said. Thanks to the Winter Wonderland and the marvellous Moat Marina and so on. Never had Jinty been so glad and grateful for that idea of his. He knew he could find many strong, brave, fit men to help him make up the rescue party, and he was right. So many volunteered for what they thought was going to be a bit of a lark, though where they got that idea from I don't know, that Jinty was able to form two groups. The strongest and bravest were to accompany him on to the vessel. The remainder were to keep guard on the quayside, lest some stray sailor should somehow or another stagger back from the castle. This group also could rush on board in any emergency. As darkness fell, all these brave fellows were huddled, watching the crew of the SS and Susie march away, their now healthy captain at their head. Let's get on with it, urged one of the volunteers. No, no, whispered Jinty, holding him back. Not yet a while. We must be sure they are safely stuffing their faces and the doors are locked behind them. After another short, worried wait, the hidden rescuers were startled to hear someone approaching cautiously along the dockside. They caught sight of a figure dipping in and out of the shadows. Jinty wasn't sure what to do, but he remembered something he'd read somewhere. He stepped forward from his hiding place and said very firmly, Halt! Who goes there? Imagine the relief of all when who should come creeping up but the L in W. I just wanted to let you know that the ship's crew is already gorging away at the king's feast and the doors are firmly locked on them. It must be safe now for you to go aboard. Oh, what a splendid woman she was. She stood for a few more moments watching the boarding party as it made its way up the gangplank and onto the deck of the SS Susie. Then she turned away and hurried back to the castle to seek out Tibbles and Bettina. The three of them sat in the dungeon, each one pretending to be brave and each one secretly feeling very, very nervous. As the sounds of general jollity, spiced with a few raucous sea shanties here and there, 
plus the sound of occasional brawling and delicious smells of excellent food filtered down to them from the banqueting hall, they could only sit and wait. The next stage of the rescue party must be underway by now. For the men of Woolian, used to the gentle flexing of timber planks under their feet when they went on board ship, the stiff, cold, hard metal of the SS Susie's deck felt rather threatening. The awful quiet, the grim, broad, flat deck, all seemed sinister. There were no lights anywhere on the ship. The party had to work by the light of the moon. You remember the deck, big as a football pitch and a half? The blacksmiths and the carpenters in Jinty's band of brothers scurried about, looking for a way into the hold. There seemed to be no screws holding down the lid of the great box in which they were sure the smoking beast was kept. But they must have got the beast in somehow in the first place, argued Jinty. Yes, said his men, pointing to a thin black line marking out a huge rectangle on the surface of the deck, and it looks as if they sealed the deck down over it so it could never get out. All the men shuddered at the thought of such ghastly cruelty. Nothing for it, then, Jinty made up his mind. We'll have to cut the beast out. Use whatever tools you have with you. Let's begin along this part of the line. And he slammed down the sledgehammer he was carrying at one corner. As the thump echoed through the night air, the vessel gave a great lurch. So he hesitated. Things soon seemed calm enough again, though. The wind must be getting up, he told his men reassuringly. Let's get on with it. There may be a storm brewing. There certainly was, but not the sort of storm Jinty had in mind. With a will, all fell to, clattering, hammering, slamming, banging, forcing, shoving, and all the other ings you care to think of. But again the vessel lurched hugely this time, sending the men crashing across the deck to the ship's rails, first on one side, then back again to the other. I'm glad to report no one fell overboard, but it was a near thing. Nor was it only lurching. From below their feet came the most terrible commotion. Above them, from the chimney-like things, huge bursts of smoke and flame broke out, piercing the night sky with scarlet and gold, and worst of all, they heard truly horrible roars which chilled the blood in them and made them stop all activity for a while. For sure that's a mighty big creature churning around down there, said one of the men. I indeed, replied another, and our noise has frightened the life out of it, I reckon. Have you ever heard anything so terrible in your life, whispered a third man, his face pale with shock. Never, they all answered, for it was truly desperate howling they could hear, not of anger, but of absolute despair. Lash yourself firmly to some fitting on the deck, men, and carry on with the cutting, shouted Jinty, determined that the lurching and the howling should not stop their efforts. They worked on for what seemed like a year. When they stopped to wipe the sweat from their brows, they could see, despite all their efforts, they'd only managed a very short slit along the strange line on the deck's surface. 
Jinty, not knowing what else to try, kept urging them on. Afterwards, Jinty couldn't explain what it was that suddenly made him look up at the box-like room at the front of the ship. But right in the middle of a tremendous surge of hammering, he happened to glance up and saw some movement. Someone was in there, who seemed to be wearing a sailor's uniform. Impossible. Had they not seen the whole crew leaving? Was there not a group of men on the quayside on the lookout for any possible returnees? Yes, to both. He looked again, and still could see the figure moving about. Afterwards, too, he couldn't believe what made him speed off to investigate, shouting to his men to carry on with their cutting. He threw down his sledgehammer and raced up several companionways, arriving at the door of the box-like room, breathless and furious. He flung open the door, and sure enough, there across the room was a sailor, hunched over a huge rank of levers, dials, gauges, taps and the like, which quite filled one wall of the room. Now whatever made Jinty yell, hands up, I ask you. He didn't have a gun, nor any weapon in his hands, but he'd read that remark in adventure stories when he was a little lad, and it always seemed to work in those, so it was worth a try. The hunched figure spun round just at the very moment that another shot of flame and fire from the chimneys filled the room with light. Jinty's mouth fell open. He froze. Despite the thunderous noise of the men at work and the howling of the beast, it seemed to be totally silent in that little space. Shock, I suppose. Because, you see, in that flash of light, Jinty saw that the sailor in the room was none other than King Humphrey. Chapter 17. A Lucky Strike Oh, drat and bother, snapped the king. You've spoiled it now, just when I was getting the hang of it too. Can't you leave me alone for a little while longer, stupid boy? Well, Sir Ginty was a boy no longer, and Sir Ginty was pretty mad now the shock was wearing off. He forgot all his manners, crossed over to the king, took him by the shoulders and shook him extremely hard. What are you doing here, and why are you dressed like that? How did you get past the lookout party on the quay? It's very dangerous here, the last place on earth you should be. We are in a really desperate set-up here, and your presence can only make things worse, he raved. Explain yourself at once. Shocked at being spoken to in this way, but also beginning to realise he had made a big mistake, King Humphrey began to stutter out his completely daft story. Well, uh, my boy, um, uh, Sir Ginty, you are aware how I was longing to see inside this ship to find out how a steamship worked. You know how keen I am on inventions and engineering and all that. Used to be very good at making things as a boy, actually, but, of course... <laughs> Had to give it all up when they made me king. Get on with it! Jinty spoke through very tight lips. Uh, yes, uh, well, the king began again. Once all the ship's crew had fallen asleep at the party and the guard was carrying them off to the hospital, I suddenly felt at a loose end. I got a servant to strip a sailor's uniform from him before he was carted off and I dressed myself up in it. Why? snapped Jinty. 
so that I could get down unnoticed to the docks. Good job I remembered at the last minute to take off my crown. Royal giggling here. Then, His Majesty recovering himself, the king continued, Knowing the ship was deserted, except for you fine young fellows, of course, I was sure I could get a good long look at how this amazing ship operates. And I was right. See, it's all here. Did you know this part of the ship is called the bridge? Isn't that quaint? I ask you, have you ever seen a bridge like this? And those chimney things out there? Oh, my word, are they on fire? Well, they're called funnels. Got all this information from one of the sailors at the royal banquet. Yes, an interesting fellow, actually. Anyway, about this vessel, I've made copious notes. The king waved a notebook under Ginty's nose. And how did you get past the lookout? roared Ginty, flapping away the notebook with his hand, which was now sore and swelling from the hard work he'd been doing on deck. Well, my dear chap, if a king orders his subjects to do something, like letting me come aboard, how dare they refuse? Simple, really. And King Humphrey turned back, bending over the instrument panel again, as if that was all that mattered. You just have to forgive Ginty. In the heat of the moment, he was so furious that the king was likely to mess up the whole of this part of the rescue party that he launched himself across the bridge, hmm. knocking King Humphrey sideways. The king stumbled backwards across the room. Suddenly, the ship gave another mighty lurch, which sent the king tumbling back again to land fair and square on Ginty. Under the weight of his majesty, Ginty fell back onto the instrument panel. He cried out in pain as a lever stuck right into his back. What with the king shouting, Sorry, sorry, it was an accident, I see I have been foolhardy, and Ginty yelling, Holy mackerel, my back, and my back, and similar things which would make you blush if I were to write them down, I am afraid, neither of them realised that all the hammering and banging and clumping on the deck had suddenly stopped. At last, however, they could not fail to recognise the sound of amazed gasps, followed by hearty, if exhausted, cheering from the workers below. Both king and subject dashed to the windows of the bridge and peered down at the vast deck below. They saw that, slowly but steadily, the whole area within the strange marked line was smoothly moving aside, revealing the black depths of the ship's hold. After all the efforts of the rescue party, in the end the deck was opening apparently of its own accord. Ginty turned to look at the king. Unexpectedly, he spotted that look he had seen once before on the king's face when he had suddenly pulled himself together and made the plan which they were in the middle of trying to carry out. King Humphrey now spoke firmly, quickly, intently. I see what has happened. You fell back onto the very lever which operates some sort of sliding roof to the hold, a cunning piece of engineering indeed. You must now go down and tackle whatever you may find in the way of a beast below decks. I will leave as I came, and I would prefer that you do not mention my escapade, which, I admit, 
now seems a little stupid. I can trust you to hold your tongue, I am sure. Jinty nodded, still befuddled by what had occurred. Thank you. Now go, Sir Jinty, and do what has to be done, and very, very good luck. After you have left, I will make a note of which lever seems to operate the sliding deck, in case we should need the information later, and then I will slip away back to the castle. I see that the lookout party has already joined your men on deck. Thus I shall not be detected as I leave the ship. Goodbye to you. And he shook Jinty warmly by the hand. At that moment, Jinty could see in the old man all those things which had made King Humphrey such a very good monarch. It helped to make the lad all the more determined to complete the rescue of the beast, come what may. Clutching his sore back and nursing his wounded hand, Jinty hurried down to deck level once more. His brave workers were edging away from the gaping hole which had appeared as if by magic. Though the lurching of the vessel had now stopped, they were able to hear the howling even more clearly, and it chilled their blood. It was full of despair. The gusts of smoke and flame from the funnels were less frequent now, it's true, but they all drew back to the ship's rails just in case any should burst up through the widening gap. But Jinty did not retreat. He ordered his men to lay down any tools they were carrying. He then stepped calmly and quietly to the edge of the hole. In the very smelly blackness below, he could just detect the bulk of some huge creature. He fervently hoped it was a dragon, but realised that he had no clear idea of what a female dragon might look like. "'Wish me luck, Tibbles,' he whispered under his breath. At last he summoned up enough courage to speak. "'I hope that you can understand me. "'This country is called Woolly and Aware, "'and my name is Jinty. "'We come as friends. "'We suspect that you are a dragon.' Here in Woolian, we have the greatest respect for creatures of your kind. Indeed, one particular dragon has proved essential to our well-being. We are concerned about you, and fear that you are being held captive in this ship against your will. We are deeply sorry that our first efforts to free you alarmed you so much. Please accept our apologies. If you wish it, we will be happy to set you free. So now... If you have understood me, will you kindly tell us if you are indeed a dragon and let us know your name? He stopped there, hoping he'd chosen the right words. Silence fell. At a glance from him, Jinty's men knew they must stand totally still and quiet for however long it took. It took a long, long time Curiosity at last got the better of the rescue party, who began to edge forward to look into the black gulf of the hold. Talking of which, they had to hold their noses. Certainly no fresh air nor clean water had made its way down there for many a long week. At last, when everyone was beginning to feel frozen to the marrow, there was some scrabbling and scratching, and the boat lurched again as something huge moved inside the hold. From the blackness of the gaping hole in the deck, there emerged a thin, pale,
pale paw, its claws broken and worn down, the pads of the paw cracked and bleeding. On its upper side and along the leg, as much of it as could be seen, were many scars and some slashes still bleeding. Bruising darkened the flesh everywhere. The skin, where it wasn't broken by a wound, was dry, colourless and flaking. A truly heart-rending sight. The poor paw was placed carefully alongside Jinty's feet. A crackly but rather sweet voice, husky from long weeping and howling, said quietly, Thank you. I am indeed a captive, and I am indeed a dragon. I would dearly love to be rescued. Cheers from the assembled men, quickly stifled, so as not to further alarm the poor prisoner. And your name, if you please, madam. My name is Susie, came the reply. Jinty understood at once a whole lot more about the SS Susie. It really was the steamship Susie, driven by the efforts of this poor creature, enslaved in the most fearful and disgraceful way. With a tear in his eye, he bent down low and placed his own damaged hand gently upon the wounded limb of the second dragon he had found, even more remarkably the second who could speak Woolianese. Susie, he said quietly, you are most welcome.